Good morning, church. It is great to be back with you guys. Let's stand together and let's worship this morning. Worship our King And come let us bow at His feet He has done great things See what our Savior has done See how His love overcomes He has done great things He has done great things morning father we thank you in jesus name we pray amen thank you and everybody can grab a seat good morning everybody so good to see you guys i know it's a bit of a different season right now as a matter of fact it's very different so you can grab a seat 
we get started this morning, we're going to be doing things a little bit different. But then again, what isn't different these days, right? As we, uh, as we go into this kind of a back into our facility season, uh, we want to thank all of you who are joining us online today. For those of you who are not in the building but are still with us, we just welcome you, as well as all of you who are here right now. But here's the deal. We've got a couple of announcements. We've got a couple of things to tell you. And we're doing it all in a little more compressed setting because we're not allowed to have kids programs. And so the little ones will be with us here. So we've shortened things quite a bit. But today, um, just a couple things. First of all, if you want to participate in the CareNet Baby Bottle Fundraiser, every year CareNet, which is a crisis pregnancy outreach here in the Antelope Valley, they do testing and screenings for... Uh, unexpected moms, moms who are just kind of like surprised by a pregnancy or those who are having a troubled pregnancy or a situation that may make it very difficult for them to keep a child. <clears throat> CareNet gives them resources and help and counseling. And there's so many amazing programs that they have. And they offer, you know, even connecting them with other mentor families and trying to help come around them. Because if there's anything we need right now, it's a strong family. It's a strong center to our society. So CareNet helps so much with this. And we're, right now, every year, we do a baby bottle fundraiser where they bring us baby bottles, we fill them with our change, and then we bring them back in about a month and give them to them. Well, those baby bottles, kind of everything's off right now, obviously. So they'll be bringing them in the next week or so. You can look for them in the lobby. But if you want to participate in CareNet's ministry, you can do a couple things. First of all, you can give a contribution to Journey, either online or right here um, as you exit through the doors today. We'll have uh, offering buckets at the doors. Or you can and you just mark it CareNet on your check or on the note line. <laughs> you can also go on to CareNet's website, and they have a registry where you can choose some items that you can help them with. So either of those are great options, and if not, you can wait because the baby bottle will be, um, they'll be out in the lobby in the next week or so. Also, if you have little ones with you today, there is a special bag for them. We have boys' toys and girls' toys, things that they can do, activities. So when they're in the service, they can have something that keeps them active and, and occupied as well. So if you guys uh, have little ones, we have changing rooms and things off to the side. If you need to make use of the parents' lobby, make, make, just make yourselves uh, available to that. I mean, avail yourselves of that. It's right out here. Those are the basic announcements. The only other thing is our giving doesn't happen as usual. Um, giving can be usual, but it's just going to be done a little bit differently. This morning, as, as for the next little while, um, another one of the guidelines we have um, from the county as well as our city is that we have to do kind of buckets at the door. We can't do the passing anything. So if you want to give, be sure and check out our online giving source. We have Zelle, we have PushPay, we have lots of those online but we also have the opportunity to give in person if you'd like as you leave today. So, that's the announcements. Man, I know, this is so weird, isn't it? I gotta fix this. Today, there's a whole lot of abnormal stuff going on. There's a whole lot of stuff that never in a lifetime have we anticipated or seen something like this. So what do we do What's the normal Christian response in abnormal times? What's the appropriate way for us to be and live and work and li yeah, do life in a crazy moment like this? Well, today we're jumping right back into our series that we were on a few weeks back, and we're going back into the in-between today and next week. We're going to wrap up the series, and I want to I take you through a journey today that I think is so critical as we discover again what God is up to behind the scenes in the crazy moments like now. There is so much that is directly related in the story and what the Israelites were going through in their in-between of leaving Egypt and coming into the promised land. There was so much they experienced that is like right here and now we're living and experiencing and watching all around us. So let's jump into the text, and then I'm going to break it down and, and go through some observations. First of all, we're in Exodus chapter 16, if you want to follow along in your Bibles today. First, the whole Israelite community set out for Elam and came to the desert of Sin. And basically, that's just an abbreviated word for Sinai, Sinai which was, was the mountain, okay, which is between Elam and Sinai, the mountain. 
So on the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community, catch this, everybody went nuts, and they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Then the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out here into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Now, where we're at in the story, just just quick recap. Remember, the, the people of Israel had been in Egypt for 400 years, and they had become slaves of the Egyptians. They had grown to a massive population, and they were the entire workforce. They were like the backbone of the work and labor force for Egypt, the, the most powerful nation in the world at this time. So as Israel was now the labor force, they cried out in their abuse. They were taking so much abuse and so much damage as people in slavery. They cried out to God. <coughs> Excuse me. God answered, sent them the deliverer, Moses. And then God, through Moses, brings these ten plagues. And I love that the ten plagues were each a symbol, a direct attack on one of the Egyptian gods. The Egyptians had tons of gods, little g gods, that they worshipped. And God brought an attack against ten of their major gods. Through the, Basically, he was showing by each of the plagues that there is no God but Jehovah. There is no God but Jehovah. Whatever you are worshipping, praying to, keep praying because you're going to learn there is no God but Jehovah. And he did all of this miraculous stuff to turn the people's hearts back to him. Then after the 10th plague, the death angel that came through the camp, finally, Pharaoh let the children of Israel go. And he didn't just let them go. God allowed these poor slaves to plunder the wealth of Egypt because it says that everyone gave the wealth in their homes in order to get them out. In other words, you guys have become so painful to us. What your God is doing to our nation is so painful. Here, take whatever you want and go. So God didn't send them out into the desert as paupers with nothing. He sent them out with the wealth of Egypt. That's the way God worked. Then not only did he send them out, did he set them free. He promised them a new home, a land of promise. He calls it the land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, to them, it's all the great stuff that we would have dreamed of. <clears throat> this is what we want. And then God came and dwelt with him personally. Never have we seen this since the beginning when God walked with Adam and Eve. Never have we seen the localized presence of God in a community with people like this. He comes down and he's a pillar of fire at night to guide them and a cloud of, you know, a pillar of cloud in the daytime so they'll always be aware that God is leading us physically. Then they come to a moment where God leads them to the end of the edge of the Red Sea. And the Red Sea's before them. They have, they have mountains on either side and Egypt's behind them. And then Pharaoh decides that he has to have the slaves. They can't, they can't make their country work without them. So he goes after the Israelites, tries to capture them and bring them back. But at the last moment, God he literally pauses right between the Egyptians. He literally takes his pillar of cloud in the day and fire at night and stands between them to protect them. He opens up the Red Sea and the scriptures say that there was a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the, I mean, come on folks, you've been to an aquarium, you've seen that where the sharks are just cruising by. What if it wasn't glass? <clears throat> what if it wasn't acrylic? What if it was just water and you could put your arm in and touch them? I mean, if you could see the waters standing up, this is the miraculous thing. People, I would never forget that in my lifetime. I think that would have just shocked me so bad. But he says that he opened it up, dried out the ground, stood water up on either side, and they passed through all night long. When they finally got to the other side, God was, of course, keeping the Egyptians with his presence, keeping them at bay. Finally, when they were through, God removed his presence. The Egyptians charged in to try and capture Israel. And what God did was just close the sea right on top of them. 
And as we learned from certain scholars, they said that the Egyptian army would carry their wealth on their horses. They would adorn their horses and their chariots with their wealth, their gold, their precious things. So all of this comes floating up so that the Israelites get even more wealthy and they're free from their greatest threat. The greatest army in the living world had just been decimated. God did this for his people. Then the Israelites going out into the desert just days after all of these things run low on water. Their estimates are around two million, two and a half million of them at this time. So it would take a lot of water. But they run low on water. And what do they begin to do? For the God who has just shown them all of these miracles, they start complaining and grumbling. <clears throat> so then God provides miraculously the waters at Mara. <clears throat> he takes the bitter waters, the bitter experience, and turns it sweet. He shows them that when we trust him, he takes the bitter moments of life and turns them into something, a blessing. Now we're presented with another opportunity. So he did that, and then just a little time later, just days later, we find ourselves in this text. Tyler and I did kind of a combined uh, conversation about this several weeks back, <clears throat> but I'm going back to this text because it has so much more I want to unpack today specifically about this specific moment. So there's where we are. Now the people have come into this land. God has provided all of these things, but instead they arrive at the desert of Sin or Sin and Sinai, and immediately they start grumbling and complaining against Moses and Aaron again. A couple observations when I see what I see in the text. First, when God's people arrive at an unfamiliar or scary place, their trust is being tested. There's a reason they've arrived at this. God is leading them and he's leading them for a reason through these moments of uncertainty. It's very clear that God is guiding them because he wants to test them to show them what's in their heart. Let's read it. Verse chapter eight, verse two through five. This is Deuteronomy. Later in the story, right before they're starting to enter into the promised land, God pauses to tell them, this is what I've been doing. I've told you then, I'm telling you again, this is what I've been up to. Here's what he said. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. <clears throat> I love that, causing you. In other words, he, he used the natural drives and needs inside of you. And then he fed you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't swell during those 40 years. Know then that in your heart, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. God says, I was using the circumstances of uncertainty, of difficulty, of challenge, of maybe hunger to reveal what was in your hearts. Not that God needed to know. He goes, I want, I want to reveal what's hidden inside you. Hey, isn't it the truth that when you go through something really painful, we find out what's really inside? When you go through something really challenging, it reveals what you really believe. Oh, I'm a Christian. I believe in prayer. I believe in God. And then all of a sudden you get sick and it's like, I believe in doctors and I believe in help and I believe I'm in trouble. And, you know, all of a sudden we realize there's a whole lot we believe. We didn't know we believed until we were put in a situation. We had to believe something and we realize, oh, that's in there. How about this? When somebody cuts you off in traffic and, and you believe certain words are wrong and all of a sudden you find yourself thinking them and it's like, well, that's what I really believe. I really believe this person is on rant, rant because I've just experienced that and that's what's in there. And God uses this. God wanted to know what was in your hearts. He wanted them to see what was in their hearts. And what was it? Here's what was in their hearts, grumbling and complaining. These two negative responses that show disrespect and distrust for God. Those are the things that are on the top of their heart and the top of their list and the top of their responses. Grumbling and complaining. Now contrast that with Moses and what was his response. Moses cried out to the Lord. Moses called on the name of the Lord. That's what we read about Moses. Crying out to the Lord. Groaning is another word we use for that. Lament prayer, 
It's a humble response of just saying, God, I don't know. God, I can't control. God, I'm not sure. God, I need you. And this is, this is where we find God's people, basically he uses these kinds of leaders, people who will groan and, and yearn and lean into these, these moments of trouble in prayer. God leads people into leadership that are like this. So when our world becomes uncomfortable and scary and begin, gets out of control, how do you respond? Do we go to groaning and grumbling? See, this is the thing. Tyler and I talked about this um, a couple of weeks ago, but groaning and grumbling are two different words. We often kind of think of them in similar terms, but the scriptures play, place them very differently, actually oppose one another. Groaning is the, is the yearning of a human heart as it's wanting God's intervention. It's what happens when we're like, this cannot be Lord God. I cannot have this. I, can't, I don't want to live like this. I don't want the world to be like this. I don't want my life to experience this. I don't want my children to have this, this incredible pain. It's when we get to a point where we're like literally inside just writhing with the agony of what's going on around us or the experience. And we're like, God, this turns me to you. David did this all the time in the Psalms. He's like, God, as the deer just yearns for the watered brooks. So my soul, it longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I come and appear before my God? This is groaning. Groaning is that part of me that says, I don't know what else to do, but God, you do. I'm turning to you. Groaning as opposed to grumbling. Grumbling is, it's your fault. You brought us out here. You should have just killed us in Egypt. You're not good. Groaning, grumbling. So my first observation is simple. When God's people come to an unfamiliar, a very uncomfortable place, a scary place, where the world does not make sense, where the world is not normal, they respond, and that's what God is revealing. God uses that to show us what's in our hearts. So the question, what's God showing you in your heart right now? Next one. When we arrive at those unfamiliar, scary places, the abnormal moments when life is not normal, the temptation is to run back to the last place we felt normal. This is so true. I get this so often when I'm doing counseling with somebody who's broken up with somebody <clears throat> in a dating relationship. I used to get this all the time in student ministry. They broke up with a person who was toxic or really terrible to them or was just not loving Jesus in a way that would help the, the relationship be in a good place. <clears throat> they were just not doing right. But the person breaks up with them. They're alone for a few days, few weeks, well, a few minutes, and they run right back. Why? Because the pain of being alone to them is greater than the pain of going through abuse. And so they return. <clears throat> the pain, the current pain, because what we do as humans is we glorify, we magnify the good of the past and we magnify the pain of the present. All we see in the moment we're in is the difficulty, the challenge. And this is one of the things that caused me to go negative. is because in the moment I'm frustrated. I can't do this thing I'm trying to do. I can't get this thing done I want to get done. And it makes me so mad. I get so frustrated. And I magnify the problem of the moment, of the present. But the weird thing is we have this way of magnifying the good of the past while at the same time we can't see it in the present. We remember better than it actually was. Catch this. Verse 3, <clears throat> the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's, in other words, let's blame God. If only God had just killed us in Egypt. Because there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. You picture this, the slaves of Egypt who were crying out to God because their, their abuse was so bad. They're saying, e Egypt was so good. Egypt was so much better. That thing that I left was better than the present moment or whatever. But then he goes on and says, but you have brought us out here to the desert to starve the entire group of us. You're trying to kill us. Right now, in our world experience, in our church, in, in our community, in our cultural moment, in your life, <clears throat> I hear so many of you, you're over it. I'm over it. I'm over the isolation of the stay at home. I mean, how many of us really did it anyway? Tell me to stay at home. I'll stay at home. I'm going to go where I want. You know, nobody tells me. I mean, how many of us struggled really with that whole isolation thing? And I get it. We're over the, this, this stay-at-home order. We're over the stupid masks. 
I mean, I'm over this. Yes, I'm like, this is like, I hate it. We're over being told we got to carry our, you know, these things around. We're over the political games as we watch the people in power play us like toys on a game board to get the, uh, the responses they want out of our culture. We watch the powerful and the wealthy in these places that have social media giants, the technology giants. We watch the rich getting more rich all the time using these moments to get all the money they can out of the people who are underneath them. We watch the racial, the issue. We are, we're over people looting. We're over people being treated different because of their skin color. We're over we're watching this and we're like, we're over the abuse of power. We're over it and we're just watching this. We're over basically life not being good. We're over life not being normal. We like normal. We want normal. Even if normal was not good, we want to go back to normal because we're not comfortable right where we are right now. I'd rather go back to what we had back then and God is saying, I am bringing you out for a new place, a new thing, a new experience. Don't go back to what you had. It wasn't that good. Your memory serves you poorly if you think that slavery in Egypt was better than the freedom I'm taking you into in the future and the present. I'm hearing people talk. The pandemic was bad enough, but it feels like the whole world has gone mad. I've never seen so much tension and political divide and racial divide and all that. And friends, I'm here, I hear you. But before you sell everything and move to Idaho or Alaska or somewhere else, and I know I've been tempted, before you do that, let me remind you of four of the greatest weapons our evil one, our, our adversary, the enemy, uses in moments like these. Four tools he used to erode you. Because remember his goal. It says it in Scripture, John 10.10. 10. The evil one, Satan has come to, kill, to steal, kill, and destroy <clears throat> That's what he's doing to some of you right now. First Peter said, the evil one prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. That's his goal. He wants to kill, steal, destroy, and he wants to devour you. He is not happy with you as a reflection, as an image bearer of the great God. He tried to unseat and replace. He is not happy. That's why he's our enemy, the adversary. That person that is on the other side of the political spectrum, that's not your enemy. That person who has a different skin color is not your enemy. The enemy is the enemy because he set out to destroy us. And here's what he's using. He's using this, first of all, the tool of discouragement. He will discourage you. He will just keep poking at you, poking at you, wearing you down until you're just like, oh, I'm so, I'm just like, he uses circumstances to mess you up mentally, to get you off track emotionally, to get you tweaked spiritually, relationally, whatever. He will knock you off balance so that you can't get your footing. You can't feel secure. You can't feel that way you want to feel about life. And he'll use that to discourage you because it's uncomfortable and it's scary. Now, right now in our world, we see chaos. Coronavirus isolated us. And that was one of the great tools of the evil one because he knows when he can isolate us, he can discourage us. He can start poking at us. When we don't have the support, the encouragement, the brethren, you know, the brothers and sisters around us just to really come alongside us, to call us out on our stuff and support us through our stuff and to love us. And then he knows he can bring us to a place of discouragement. And what I was hearing during the isolation time was that people were feeling sadness fear. I was reading all kinds of articles about the fear, the hopelessness, and the depression that was rampant during the first round of isolation. The evil one would love to use isolation and the absence of a normal to, do, to totally destroy you. He would love to discourage the church. He would love to use those things to discourage you as an individual. And because he knows a discouraged church is a weak church. A discouraged follower is a is a weak follower. So don't let him. Don't let him discourage you. Push through. And let me just tell you honestly, get to church. And if I'm not saying you have to be here physically because some of you, you shouldn't be here because you're, your health is compromised or you've been sick. You might get somebody else. I get that. I get all the reasons why people are keeping the distance. But get back to your routine of seeking Jesus, following Jesus, worshiping Jesus, and finding a way to stay together in community. Don't let him discourage you. 
Don't let him do it. And if you have to stay at home, form your own little house church by getting friends and family that you're already breaking the rules with, you're already spending time with these people, so just go ahead and call a party and say, hey, you guys, we're going to do it on Sunday, but we're going to do it. We're going to watch the service, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to have lunch or something. Do little house churches. Folks, use this moment. Don't let him use these tools against you. If you don't want to be in physical presence for whatever reason, you, that's better for you, and I, I get it. Maybe that's the right thing for some of you, is in your isolation, then find a group of other people who are watching the service and do what they call watch parties. You watch at your house, they watch at their house, and you do a Zoom call or get on the phone and you talk about what God is teaching you. What is God saying to you right now? What is he working in the world? And how can we encourage one another today while it is still called today? Don't let him discourage you. Then that next tool, the evil one uses division. He will divide us. The racial, political tensions are some of his favorite tools right now. I mean, he's broken it down. He's dividing us by age. So the older people are out of touch. He's dividing us by gender. He's dividing us by skin color. He's dividing us by culture. He's dividing us by border or by whatever. He's dividing us in so many ways. He's dividing us. And I get, I get all, there's so much more nuance into all of that stuff. I understand that. But he wants to divide you. And he's using that and it's working. I mean, I've, I've never felt our country more divided. And I know I'm only 23 or so, but whatever. Maybe two or three times that, I don't know. But, but the right, right now, he's using those things. So whenever you feel the, here's the temptation. When you feel the temptation to draw the line and say, this is the good guys, that's the bad guys. This is my side, that's their side. When you're taking sides, you are falling into the trap of the enemy. That is not your enemy. He is the enemy. He's, he's working you. He's playing you. And we feel like, but this is all, but I, I can see what's happening. Those people are bad people. Yes, there are bad people. And yes, people on both sides of the spectrum are doing some terrible things right now. People on all sides of the political, people in all racial groups are doing bad things right now. And we can't point fingers at everybody and say, that person's, when you feel that coming in, you say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to buy in. I'm not going to, you, uh, you suckered me last time. And I said some things, I've done some things, I've acted in some ways that I'm ashamed to be a follower of Jesus and be that. So I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to let him divide us. And I don't just, listen, don't let that talk show person, that, in, that celebrity, that entertainer, or whomever drive the wedge between you and the people Jesus died for. Whoever it is. And again, I get why. I'm just saying the real reason behind it is the trap Satan's setting to divide us. Another one, Satan will distract you. Look at this crisis. Listen to that podcast. Look at this post. Friends, man, I hear so many people getting all bent out of shape because of a post somebody, or somebody clicked a like on somebody else's. <clears throat> I mean, there's so, there are wars going right now <clears throat> on social media on all the platforms that turn into real wars because of ideology and people's opinions and, and, the, and, and it's all so many distractions. <clears throat> and, and they want to read this and read that. And man, information is good. I told you last week and the week before, inform yourselves, but to a point. When the information is tainting your heart and turning you negative and turning you hateful or turning you, man, then the, the information isn't really... What you need more is not, maybe not more information if it's only making it worse for you. <clears throat> Sometimes that's a victory for the enemy. If he can just distract you, if he can get you your, your critical thinking, if he turn you negative or whatever, if he can distract you from what God really wants, he's won. And people right now, I get it, but <clears throat> they're jumping on this cause and that cause. There's so many good causes. Folks, I'm a cause kind of guy. I support lots of causes and I pay, you know, good money for other causes and ministries. And I'm all about great things happening for people in the world. But can I just say something honestly? Just my heart's yours. The enemy will use a good cause to distract you from the God cause. The enemy will use a good thing to distract you from the best thing. The enemy will throw so many challenging things in your path and say, oh, see, but this would be, bring a better result. What is the ultimate God cause? It's called the Great Commission. Jesus gave it in Matthew 28, 19, when he was leaving the earth and he was putting us in charge, his followers. He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So now I'm giving it to you. Go and make disciples of all nations. 
Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Jesus is saying, listen, <clears throat> a lot of good causes out there. Let me tell you, let me tell you God's cause. Now, let me tell you the one that literally has kept the earth turning for the last few thousand years since Jesus left. God is redeeming lost and broken humanity. And he's looking for the church to participate with him in it. He's calling his followers to be his representatives of the life God always intended for us. He's saying, live that life. Let the joy and abundance come out of your life as you follow and completely obey the commands of God. You're going to have the life that God wants for you and others will be attracted. You're, you're the magnets to bring people back to me. Obey this. Take the good news. Go to the ends of the earth. Make disciples. Teach people all about me. Teach them about the kingdom of heaven that is now a reality on the earth. That the availability is there now for you to have relationship with God. Take this good news to all the world. God is calling the world to repent and believe the good news. Repent means quit living the bad news. Turn and trust and follow the good news, the ways of Jesus. And every single way of Jesus is for a reason. Talk about that more in a moment. Our primary mission, to know him and make him known. Don't let, other, don't let secondary issues become primary concerns if it causes you to lose your heart, your focus on the main thing. Don't get so wrapped up in a side idea that you forget the main idea, why God left you here in the first place. Satan's tool. Final tool Satan uses is he wants to get you to distrust God. He wants to erode your trust. All the discouragement, all the division, all the distraction, that's a way of getting us to begin to wonder about God. Now think about it. What is it sometimes that enters your mind? Well, maybe, maybe, isn't that what he has done from the very beginning, from the very first situation where we see him come into the story. It was man and wife, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden. Perfect. Everything was just, it was the Garden of Eden. They were naked, not ashamed. I mean, how much better could it be? That was just for me. I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe you didn't feel that one, but God was like, this is, this is the way you were designed. I'm going to give you perfection. You're going to live in my presence with all the balance of nature working with you, not against you. And then Satan comes in. And he says, hey, uh, did God really say that if you eat of all the fruit, that's great, but don't eat from the, didn't, maybe he meant that if you do this, you're going to get smart like he is and you'll know things. Yeah, maybe God's keeping something from you. Maybe God isn't that good. That's the same story. Maybe God isn't really in control. Maybe he doesn't really exist. Maybe he's not all powerful and can't keep things all together. Or maybe God's not that good. Maybe he doesn't really want what's best for us. Maybe he's holding out on us. Maybe he brought us into the desert to die. That's Satan's weapon. He used it against all the Old Testament characters. He constantly uses, maybe God isn't. Maybe God won't. Maybe. And it gets us to think, and, and, and I'm thinking so many of us have bought into this, this distrust of God. And he brings us to moments of discomfort. He brings us to moments of unsettledness where normal is gone to show us what's in our heart, to teach us to trust him and obey him in everything. So how do we respond? Well, here's how a lot of people, there's three responses I'm seeing all over the place. Panic. This is where people kind of just lose their mind and they do crazy stuff. And this is where they turn on each other. I was reading about one young lady that her, she had a different opinion than her dad. And her dad was, you know, was a public figure. And so she went on social media and blasted him and tried to tear him down and literally turn to, to, to cause him to lose his career because her beliefs were different from his. People panic and the world is falling apart. They live in anxiety and fear and do really, really dumb things panic. Another one, people point fingers. The next response of a typical person in the world is to look for somebody to blame. It's their fault. It's that group. It's them. They're the enemies, and they're, they're what's wrong in the world. Another one is they pacify themselves with some distraction. It could be a substance. It could be an activity. It could be porn. It could be a person. It could be lots of people. It could be whatever gives a person a momentary like, hey, I'm going to escape this all, and we can pacify ourselves 
But what is Jesus offering? What, what does it look like to apprentice to Jesus in moments like this? What does it look like when we step in full confidence into a world that's gone mad and say, we know what this is about. We know what's happening and we know how to respond because those things can cause us to lose focus. And if we can lose focus, we can lose perspective. If we lose perspective, we lose heart. And Satan's ultimate goal is for us to lose hope. So we lose our trust in God. So is that what God wants right now for the church to be like everybody else, panicking, pointing fingers, pacifying ourselves? No. God is still in control. He's calling the church to something better. That's why he's taking us into this desert to show us a new thing, to bring us to a new place, to experience a new reality in his presence. Right now, we find in the text one of our most important responses, verse 9 and 10. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, here's the words, come before the Lord. So Moses tells Aaron, 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 tell the people to come back to God. Tell the people to come back to the Lord. For he has heard your grumbling. And while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, um, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appeared, appearing in a cloud. So in other words, during this time of them distrusting and turning on God and grumbling, <clears throat> God's presence left for a moment. And there he was reappearing. God was back with his people. While everyone else was grumbling and complaining, what was Moses doing? Moses was calling on God. Moses was addressing the problem with his maker. Moses was tuned into the presence of God. He was getting God's commands for the people. Moses, once again, crying out to God. That brings me to three applications I want us to take home today as we get to, to the end. Three things I want us to say, what, this is what we do. This is how we respond. First, when, when the world goes crazy, when, when normal is nowhere to be seen, when it's not on the horizon, we need to cry out to God. Number one, first thing, Remember the words in Exodus 15, 25? Then Moses cried out to the Lord. This is Moses' response over and over. Over a dozen times in this condensed little story, we find Moses crying out to God. Moses going before the Lord. Moses spending his time in the presence of God, so much so he became the friend of God. God himself buried Moses and said he was the most humble, greatest man who walked the earth. He was, he was a friend of God. Don't you want that? That's how we become the friend of God is we spend time with God. This is life-changing. It's so obvious that we miss it because we think, oh, I've done that. As a matter of fact, I prayed for a while. It didn't really work. I didn't see anything change, so I gave up. I, I talked to God about stuff, and he didn't give me what I wanted. So, yeah, it's not really my thing. I get talking to somebody who can't, you can't see is, is a challenge. But, folks, it's at the heart of what it means to know and walk with your maker. We've got to get this thing down. God's people are to be the people of prayer. The first thing that comes when normal seems to be gone is not panic, it's not pointing, it's not pacifying. When trouble comes, God's people pray. That's one of the things that sets us apart from the rest of the world. Other people run to these other extremes. The people of God run to the closet for prayer. They run to the place of prayer. Are you praying for your nation? Are you praying for your leaders? Are you praying for wisdom? Are you praying for your enemies? Jesus said, pray for those Pray for your enemies and pray for and love those. Love your enemies and pray for those who intentionally hurt you, abuse you. Pray for them. That's what we're commanded to do. And I got to be honest. I got a personal confession. I'm a doer. I like action, not words. So don't tell me you're going to show up. Show up. Don't tell me you like me. Like me. Don't just talk about it. Be about it. And for me, I don't, I don't want to just sit around and pray when I could be doing something. And so many times I have jumped to a first next action, which I could take into my own hands. Okay, I'll go. If our janitor or whatever does, I mean, our guy outside doesn't weed, then I'm going to go weed. If our person didn't show up for this, then I'm going to greet. If our person didn't do that, then I'm going to be that. And I try to jump out and do, 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 do. And that's exactly what put me in the hospital. 
Rather than learning that God has put me in a position with limitations for a reason, he wants me to trust him and work with others, sometimes, folks, I, I go to the action rather than to my prayer closet. I go to the do rather than to be. I'm Martha, and Jesus is waiting for Mary. He's waiting for somebody to come and sit at his feet and just be in relationship with him. And my tendency is to ponder, prepare, preach. It's not always to pray. I get it. I struggle here. But folks, man, if I learn anything as I watch the children of Israel struggle, they complain, they criticize, they call each other out, but so few actually cry out to the Lord. Only Moses. And Moses was the man who rescued a generation, rescued a nation because he cried out to God. This is our time, friends. This is when we go before God on behalf of those around us. This is when we take the brokenness of humanity and we pour it out to God and we cry out to God. Second thing, we need to trust God and obey Him. Trust God fully. Obey Him completely. Trust God fully and obey Him completely. Remember what God was doing? He said, he's letting his people go through these difficult times. He's disrupting their normal. Verse chapter one, chapter 16, I'm sorry, verse one. Then the Lord said to Moses, in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. It's a test. God's instructions are about learning to trust him for whatever supply, needs, emotion, relationships. It's everything. God's instructions in this story were about trusting him for food and water. And he goes, I'll take care of all that. But here's what I'm going to command them to do. I want them to go out every single day and I want them to pick up just, I'm going to send bread from heaven. Manna, it's going to be great. You're going to love this stuff. I'm going to send quail at night and you're going to have meat and bread and I'm going to give you all the water you can drink, but only for one day. It only lasts a day. Tell them not to store it up because it'll go bad. And sure enough, they stored it up and it went bad. It got maggots and it was rotten and nasty. Let's see. I told them. He says, but trust me, obey. I want, to, I want to teach them to obey me because there's always a reality on the other side of a commandment. There's always something anchored to that commandment that actually works in your favor. When I tell you to live this way sexually, morally, mentally, emotionally, relationally, it's because there's something anchored in the way I made the world that brings the good I want to unleash on you. And when you violate it, you're violating not just my will, you're violating the way I made and designed the world, and it's against you. You introduce pain to yourself when you do this. His, his instructions, so just do this every day. Go out and gather manna. Except, here's the thing, on that one day, six days I want you to gather manna, and on the sixth day I want you to gather double the manna because on the seventh day you're going to rest. Nobody's to work. Nobody's to go gather food. I want that entire day to be a day of joy and celebration and in my presence. It's called the Sabbath. I'm going to teach you the rhythm of way I made the world. Six days I worked, and the seventh day I rested. I created all these things, and on the seventh day I rested, God said, and I want you to enter into my rhythm of life. So I'm going to teach you to do this. So he taught them that. And they did exactly what he told them not to do. So many of them went out six days, ate normal, and then on the seventh day, they tried to go out and gather again. And guess what? God sent no manna. He wants to teach us. There's always a reality on the other side of commandment that's for our good. God is all about the details. He was so specific. Point is, following God means trusting God enough to obey him. Following Jesus means trusting him enough to obey him. If we don't obey him, we don't trust him. That's the lesson he was teaching them. I think that's exactly what God is teaching us in our season of in-between. I think God is doing the same thing for the church right now. I watch the church across the nation. It looks so much like the culture around them. We can't even tell the difference. And Jesus is saying, I called you to a different life, a different spirit, a different power, a different reality. And if you're not living in it, then you're not actually following me. God is teaching us to trust and obey him. So this is our moment. This is our opportunity to show how full of faith we actually are by what we do. Do what you know. And if you don't know, learn what you don't know. If you don't know where, ask for discernment. Simple. If you don't learn, do what you know. Just go do the next thing you know to do and just stop doing the things you know he said not to do. To begin there. Then learn what you don't know. Just get in the New Testament. And I'm not talking about Levitical law, Old Testament covenant. I'm talking, just open the New Testament, read Jesus' commandments, start living those. 
start reaching into Paul and Peter and John and, and what they taught about how to live in the world of craziness and do those. And when you don't know, ask for wisdom. James says you'll get it. God gives it. Final thing, we need to believe God and watch him work daily. As the band comes, I want to read this last passage and close. Verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are going to go out every day and gather enough, catch this, for that day. Isn't it interesting that God could have provided them, hey, I want you to go take your wagons and all those, and I want you to get all your baskets, and I want you to fill up, and, and you'll have food for a month. He didn't do that. God said, I want you to tell them to go each day to experience my provision for that day. God was anchoring the reality of every day is a source of life I'm giving you. Every day I will bring the sun up. Every day I will bring the food and sustenance. Every day I will bring the realities of life to bear on those people who follow and obey me. And I will provide for you. I will protect you. And I will lead you into the promised land. I will lead you into the life to the fullest. But you got to trust me. Every day. I will supply that day. Whatever it is you're needing today, whatever it is this day brings you, whatever your normal looks like, your abnormal looks like, whatever it is you're feeling right now, however you may be off kilter or feeling like the world is out of balance or this group or that group or whatever is caused, whatever you're feeling, today, let's go to him for this day's provision of sanity, of clarity, of peace, when Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and beaten up by life, and I will give you rest. Take my teachings upon you. Take my yoke, my, my way of living upon you, and you will have rest for your souls. Learn from me, he said. Folks, this is it. Jesus is inviting you today. We can enter this season with complaining, or we can cry out to God. We can grumble. Or we can groan for God to bring renewal, revival. We can, we can just groan. We can cry out to God for God to bring healing and help. The church can either be like the world or it can stand as a light to the world, not both. We just got to decide what's our place. He's calling us to draw near once more, friends. Cry out to him. Trust him. Obey him. This is our moment. Let's not miss it. I want to pray for you. Father, as we close today, I'm... I'm so grateful, so grateful to be a part of a church community that just wants so desperately for you to work. I'm grateful to be a part of a world right now where you're about to do something really, really interesting and cool and create, and it may be that you're coming back soon. It may be that you're bringing your bride to prepare, preparedness and readiness so you could come and take us to that place you prepared. Maybe, maybe this is like the last big hurrah of getting people open and tenderized to receive you. I don't know. But God, I don't want to miss this moment. And I believe the friends and family who've gathered online and in this room are saying the same. I don't want to miss this moment. I don't want to pour my primary focus into secondary things. I want to be about your thing, God, your heart, your way. So I pray today, Lord God, for everybody in this room, and I first of all pray, Lord, for those of us who have fallen short of representing and following you well, just to confess. Just forgive us, God, for our heartless complaining, for our grumbling, for our failure to, to go and cry out to you and just pour our hearts out to you. Forgive us, Lord God, for just neglecting to just follow you in the basic ways and just doing what we feel rather than what we know. And God, I pray that you would set us free from all of these things that Satan's using against us so we can trust you and follow you into this new season of promise. Friends, with your heads bowed for a moment, if you're going through a, a thing right now, this is the daily provision he was talking about. You can take it to God, and I want to give you an opportunity in a, in a moment right now to do that. So I pray for everyone here, God, a blessing over this church and everybody who's offering their hearts in, anew to you. Open their eyes to the things you're saying. Open their ears to the things you're whispering. Bring them to that place of healing. 
Friend, if you're here and you're just, or watching, you wanna just open your heart to God, maybe for the first time, step into a relationship. It's, it's really a choice where God begins to work inside of you and you respond to it by saying, yes, God, I open my heart, I open my life. I already know I've done things that I'm ashamed of and they must, must have broken your heart. You call it sin and I just, I just call it my past and God, I wanna walk away from it. I don't wanna live like that. And right where you're at, you can just say, God, forgive me of my sin and give me new life. Allow me the experience of having your spirit come live in me. Bring your Holy Spirit, God, and, and lead me into a life that is full life. I'll trust you and follow you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we want to worship as we get ready to go. We have one more message I want to bring before we wrap up this series, but uh, so be, be back next week. Would you stand with me as we worship together? Let's sing one last time before we head out. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my tomb Till I met you And I was breathing but not alive and all my failures I tried to hide it was my tomb till I met you you called my name
Thank you, church. Have a great week. Be safe.